Berserker Cast, episode number eight, Saturday Night Massacre Review. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, BerserkerCast. I felt that it was appropriate that we start out with a moment of silence for tonight's episode. Not necessarily the most energetic way to start the episode, but maybe appropriate nonetheless. Right. I will give you as many moments of silence for Tector, but I'm kind of doing a little happy <laughs> dance now that Lourdes is dead. <laughs> I apologize. I know people like her. Well, see, that's the thing. We're going to get into some stuff on that for sure. We got some listener feedback about yes. specifically <laughs> that. That was also our BC Twit question of the week. So we, we'll definitely be talking about the we'll who we're going to miss, who we're not going to miss, and who had it coming and who didn't and all that stuff. But I guess I should just backtrack a little bit and say, welcome to Berserker Cast. I'm Daryl. And I'm a moment of silence slash Emily. <laughs> yeah. So, wow, what a what an incredible episode. And we had the feedback last week. I forget who it was from. Was it? It wasn't Ganon that sent that in that was predicting who all I was going was to Ganon. die. I think it was Ganon. Was it? Yep. And, you know, here's the thing I'll say about that. They threw so many names out there that they were bound to get some of them right. But dang, if they didn't get most of them right. <laughs> I think he called... Them all, didn't he call Lourdes Tector and Dr. Kadar? Yeah, yeah, and, and a bunch what? of red shirts. If, if, you, if you weigh those characters against their value currently in the show, mm-hmm. they're the, the, the highest, eh, how would you say? They, they have the most involvement in the show, but yet would be missed the least. Yeah. Not necessarily by fans, but in the mm-hmm. storyline to do away with them. So it makes sense. It's so, I mean, uh, Dr. Kadar just ended up being one of the most fascinating characters on the show. The recluse brought Mm -hmm. in midway. No, not even midway. It was a couple episodes into season uh, three, excuse me. Yeah. And Tector has been around since the very beginning as it has Lourdes. So yeah, a lot of deaths. Definitely lived up to the title of the episode, which was Saturday Night Massacre. This is the episode that aired on August the 3rd, 2014. This episode was directed by... Emily, do you know how to pronounce this? I hate to butcher it unless I unless I have to. I'm going to guess Olatunde Asunsanmi. That's way better than I could have done. <laughs> well done. And written by David Weddle and Bradley Thompson. Now, you've got some interesting notes here on the director. Yeah. I Greg Beeman's blog post this week was fantastic, and it was all about the director. And I'll put this into the show notes that you can get on our blog. But 
Greg Beeman says that this guy has never done a single minute of television directing, and he just came on the set and rocked it. He said every all the actors and all the producers just loved him. He got in and did the nitty-gritty action sequences that usually just... Yeah really dominate a lot of the actors that come in and do this television show because everything is so fast paced and you have to have so many different sequences in each shot. And he just, he just totally praised this guy. Uh, he also said that he came recommended by Will Patton and he's, he said a lot of things about, uh, so-and-so has been recommended by this or that actor. I think, uh, Robert Sean Leonard, who portrayed Dr. Kadar up until the end of this episode <laughs> was recommended yep. by Noah Wiley even. So hmm. there's just been a lot of internal recommendations to bring in people on the outside. So this guy, I thought he did a phenomenal job. There were a lot of great sequences in this episode. Well, there were, I thought the music was incredibly good. Yes. A lot of the music reminded me of, of some of the scores that Chris Tilton did for mm-hmm. fringe. And, you know, some of the shots is after the carnage is over and we're, we're, we're kind of going through the different carnage shots, if you will. I thought those were incredibly well done. Uh, and those go back to the director. And one piece that I thought was really brilliantly done was the final shot of the episode where we see uh, there's two shots, but the, to me, they go together and, but yet both speak volumes. The first one is the penultimate shot. And that is where. Um, well, I guess Maggie might have been the last shot, but here, here's my point. We had the flames reflecting in the goggles of the ghost. Mm-hmm. And you look at that from the point of view of the overlord, and it's kind of symbolic of the ghost has burned. You know, yeah. the ghost is dead. But then the very next shot is Tom, and he pulls out his lighter, and he lights a flame. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's not dead. You went from one image keep of fire your thinking he's burning. dead. Oh, wait, yes. Keep your candles yeah. burning. <laughs> yes. So I just thought the the use of fire yeah. in those two shots yeah. was really, again, goes Good right back to the director. So yep. uh, for a first-time director, I could not be more impressed. First-time really TV good. director. I think he's done a lot of movies, but yeah, yeah. But yeah the same thing. Yeah. But good, yeah, good stuff. Some interesting feedback from Gannon this week, and mm-hmm. we've spliced it up as usual, but I liked what he said here at the beginning about the episode overall. He says he or she, I'm sorry, I really don't know. I'm, I should genericize this. I assume it's a guy because Gannon on Zelda is a guy, but that's, oh, that's my association okay. with it. <laughs> Gannon says, wow, what an extremely heartbreaking episode, and I hate it when I'm right, but honestly, I had zero expectations that these characters were going to die. The episode itself was fantastically directed, especially that ending montage, and the music was top-notch. Overall, I thought the battle was a bit underwhelming, but the casualties and the performances made that part redeemable. Plus, I'm sure there's still massive battles to come. That's great. You know, I, this, Emily and I were talking before we hit the record button the, how much I like it now that the the feedback, the written feedback surprises me because she handles the written feedback for this podcast and I handle the audio feedback. So this is the first time I'm hearing this and uh, I I 1000% agree with everything Gannon said. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Jumping right into this episode recap. You know, before we get too far into it, I think we need to pay homage to the title of the episode. Saturday Night Massacre. Did you recognize what historical event that this came from? Not at not at all. We got some feedback midweek because you and I mentioned the episode title, you know, near the end of last week's podcast, and so we got some feedback midweek, you know, saying I'm surprised you guys didn't 
you know, know what that was in reference to. And it's the type of title that I would have more than likely researched prior to the podcast, mm-hmm. but I didn't have to because Bill wrote in and, and right. Barb also called in about it too. So, but, oh, but he did prior call to in. them, um, prior to Bill and Barb, no, I had, or Bill, really, Bill was the first to fill me in on it. No, I had no idea what, what it was in reference to. Okay. What about you? Because I, I sent out a tweet last night too, and I think Barb was the only one that actually responded to it saying, mm-hmm. no, I don't really know. But okay, Bill from Thailand wrote in and said this. Okay. In your comments for the Falling Skies episode entitled Saturday Night Massacre, you seem to be a bit confused by the title and joked that it might, uh, that it would possibly, that it would probably better have been called Sunday Night Massacre. What the title undoubtedly refers to and what you either have forgotten or were unaware of is that this reference is to what happened during the Watergate investigation of Richard Nixon when there was one dismissal and two resignations of Nixon appointees on the same night, Saturday, October 20th, 1973. It was and remains an historic event and appropriate name for the episode. So I went out and did some searching on it because this was about 13 years before I was born. Not that really? that should yeah, we are 10 years <laughs> subtract apart. any yeah. from my knowledge of history. I had forgotten we were 10 years apart. So yeah, it was three years before I was born. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is a historic event, and it's not like I don't know what Watergate is, but I just right. was not aware of this particular evening in on Saturday night in October. <laughs> One night in October. It was... <laughs> nice. My comment to Bill, thank you, by the way, for alerting me to this, because I probably, like you, would have gone and d- did a little research, but, you know, I, I still don't really get what that has to do with this episode, because... I, I read several different accounts of this and mm-hmm. other than it being okay, other than it leaving the American government kind of disheveled because you have two highly ranked officers who have resigned because they refuse to comply with president Nixon's orders. And then uh, the actual firing of an employee once he did get someone who would obey him and it all leading to the unraveling of Watergate Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there was no actual massacre unless I'm just thinking too literally about it. With the Watergate thing, I think the massacre is more figurative where heads rolled, so okay. to speak. Um, but I still don't see an exact correlation here because one is kind of a, a metaphor of a massacre and one is an actual bloodshed type of massacre. Yeah. Maybe I'm missing it too. I don't know. Yeah, and I and I'm fully aware that I'm just like not making that connection. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you have more info, Bill, or what you thought the parallel was, we'd love to hear that because yeah, I'm totally, definitely. we were totally not trying to make light of the massacre itself. I think the reason we said Sunday night massacre is because the show airs on Sundays. Is that why right. you no, said that's it? exactly okay. it? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Barb wrote in or called in though and had some thoughts on it. So here's what Barb thought about the episode title. I admit that I am perplexed by the name of this episode since the phrase, Saturday Night Massacre, is associated with former President Richard Nixon's misuse of his executive powers to cover up his and his team's criminal activities, Watergate among others, and the refusal of the sitting Attorney General um, office leaders to go along with that plan. They resigned, and a newly appointed Attorney General, Robert Bork, ultimately fired Special Prosecutor Archibald Cox. This event turned public opinion against Nixon, and he resigned as president 10 months later. 
I don't know if the writers are trying to intimate to us in some way that Tom's leadership will be challenged because he didn't kill Lexi, but that's a stretch, and I consider it unlikely, although the, ma- the second mass is now down to 20 to 30 people. Also considering that the Falling Skies massacre was caused by an open gas pipe and not technically by the mechs, I don't know that anyone can blame Tom for that. I'd sure like to ask the writers about this one. Perhaps it will become clearer in the next few epis. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Good insight from Barb there. Yeah. And I, I think she's right. I mean, for, 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 from two points, if we're going to look at it and say, well, this was a turning point in Tom's leadership and or his approval in the eyes of the people, the two points that she made are pretty good. Yeah. One is that there's really not very many people left, to, <laughs> sadly. Uh, and point two was that do you can you fault Tom for a gas leak? I mean, really, they his plan and Weaver's plan worked. It was this other thing that yeah. was their demise. Yeah, and especially if you're pointing to the massacre itself, yeah, because right. really, Lexi, other than abandoning them, didn't have any direct responsibility for it. Because you know, after at the end of last week, when they were when the Volm were telling us about how hatchlings are at their mm-hmm. most dangerous, right when they come out of their cocoon, you know, my first inclination is she's going to come out, not know who she is, and wreak havoc on the second mass. But that's what this, I thought too. Yeah, so this was really, this really took a different angle. So yeah, I mean, if if you're talking about the actual massacre, the actual deaths of those 70 or 80 people, however many it was, Mm -hmm. then it seems a little bit more abstract. And I don't, and I can't make any parallels there, at least not off the top of my head. But she, she did mention something about how it might actually be Tom's leadership that is being brought into question because she can't, because he can't uh, terminate Lexi. And uh, that parallel might be a bit backwards <laughs> because, well, at least in terms of the, the Saturday Night Massacre historical event. But I, yeah, I don't know. It at least it made it a little bit more plausible in my mind, at least. Yeah, I hear you. Well, let's get into our episode discussion. Lots of stuff to talk about this week, of course, and a lot of deaths to discuss. Did (laughs) you, how did you feel? I I mean, uh, were you able to kind of see how things were going? Did you see the writing on the wall for some of these deaths or, or were you surprised by them as they came along? The only one I wasn't surprised at was Lexi. Uh, Sorry, not Lexi. Lordis. (laughs) Lordis. <laughs> Hopeful thinking. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, I mean, the moment she put that shawl shirt thing around Lexi, mm-hmm. I was like, she's gone. But mm-hmm. then, but Dr. Kadar and Tector surprised me. The, the, the way people died surprised me. Yeah. What about you? Could you predict it? No, I couldn't predict uh, any of them. Um, to be honest with you, I I didn't. Uh, I was surprised even by the Lordis. I just I'm terrible at these sorts of things usually. So, <laughs> it's okay, yeah. not judging you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, the episode picks up kind of where we left off with with uh, Lexi inside the cocoon, and she emerges, and she. It's it's so weird. Immediately, she calls Tom Tom Mason. Mm-hmm. There's no dad or father or anything like that. And um, when she starts acting weird, Anne steps in and says, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! You and I spoke last 
you know, say last week. She didn't say that. You know what I mean? no. <laughs> Moments uh, ago. <laughs> and what, what, you know, what you said about being there for your family and, and Lexi says, yeah, you misunderstood me. Oh, I mean, that was I, surprising. This was my biggest qualm with the episode. Really? Because I felt like, like that last scene then with her and with Lexi and Anne talking in her dream or hallucination. I thought that was intentionally deceptive and not from Lexi's perspective, but from the writing perspective or the directing <laughs> perspective. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're trying to lead us down the wrong path, not because it's going to reveal something else, but because they're not actually going to do anything with that. Yeah. And, you know, I could have understood if, I don't know, because there, there were a lot of hopeful things that Lexi said and she came out and literally it had to be moments later because the, the last episode ended with Anne removing her hand from the cocoon, right? Right. So it's not like a day passed or something and, and Lexi was able to hear more of these stirrings around the second mass. It was almost immediately. That's right. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. And it's, it's a bit odd for sure. Alexi comes out completely different. Um, she didn't really have a physical transformation, which I thought she, she might have, particularly when she went in last week with her hand all getting gooeyfied. I thought she might come out and have had some sort of physical transformation. But instead of the transformation that she seems to have had is some sort of either mental, awakening or, or, or transformation or a spiritual, it's more like she was inside a sweat lodge than she was inside a cocoon. Sweat lodge. I see what you did there. <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> Lost I expected on John the Locke to come out, you know? <laughs> what? I expected John Locke to come out. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, I well, I think a lot of it was mental, but I think the bigger picture in her uh, physiology right now is that it was at a biological level because Kadar was able to briefly examine her blood or her DNA or something and found that her alien and human DNA had completely fused together. So mm -hmm. we were in uncharted territory before, but now we are so far beyond uncharted territory that there's no way to even make any predictions. And I don't think that this bodes well for anyone, but it also might help to alleviate some of the pressure on Tom. Because even though Lexi looks human, she doesn't look like she has changed at all. She has she has been possessed by the black thing. She has been possessed by the man in black and is slowly turning evil. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The darkness, when it reaches her heart. Right. That's... Then she's gone. Yes. But I, I mean, when, when you're changed at such a fundamentally biological level and the only thing that remains the same about the person is the way they look, are they actually the same person? Well, and that's the discussion that we have between Hal and Tom and Tom yep. and Anne. And it is a very good question that, frankly, all of us should be kind of thinking about so we can kind of figure out, you know, and better put ourselves in their position and, and figure out what decision we would make. But Hal is convinced that she's not. Whatever was of a human in her, whatever was of Lexi in her, that's gone. And the thing that killed Lourdes was not Lexi. and. Tom and Anne and 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 even um, Weaver are are saying there's still she's still in there even if she's 
really buried deep in there. She's still in there. I mean, what do you right. think? Well, yeah, because on a biological level, yes, she has changed. Mentally, she's probably become more prone to the, quote, teachings of the Ishveni. Mm-hmm. But she still has the memories and knowledge of these people who love her. Because she was able to at least acknowledge within Ben that there was love there for the family. So she, she can see what that is in people. And she, and it doesn't seem like love is an overwhelming Eshfeni quality. So it's not like it's something the overlord taught her. Right. And yet at the same time, it's like she can't even internalize that for herself. Like there's no, she, she has completely rejected everything human in favor of the Eshfeni. Mm hmm. It is. It doesn't seem right. It does. It seems like it's something that the Ishvini are feeding her. I mean, she she yeah. doesn't have the perspective to know what in the world she's talking about when right. she talks about how violent humans are. She doesn't have any experience to draw on that shows her any other world than the one that is enwrapped in war. Yep. And when Ben later in the episode tries to tell her Tom was a teacher and was a healer before these people came and invaded. That doesn't seem to do any good. I don't know why she is completely ignoring the fact yeah. that the Ishveni are the ones invading and killing all of the humans, and yet she's saying the humans, they just, they're all filled with hate and, and fear. It doesn't seem... That's right. what I'm saying. She's... That's that's so imbalanced. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that would never make it onto... I mean, I was going to throw out a Fox News joke. I won't. <laughs> there's no fair imbalance there, my friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, yeah, and so, so much for the Triskelion, the, the merging of human Eshveni and Lexi. I mean, mm. it seems like, and I mean, I know that this is blatantly obvious, but if, if you're really committed to uniting two people groups, whether or not you agree with one of the groups should never influence the fact that you want these two groups united. So her involvement should always be as what would you say like a a bridge between mm-hmm. those two mm-hmm. and she she has abandoned one half of it because they aren't holding up to their side of the deal well what about the ashveni i mean does she not hold them responsible i think you were just saying that does she not hold them responsible for anything they've done it's like yeah it's like she's completely blinded to exactly what they've been doing right yeah blinded or lied to i guess I guess it, even just from seeing the different perspectives of the the monk overlord and uh, Scorch, they take two different approaches to battle. And so if the only exposure she's had to the Ishveni is really monk, <laughs> maybe it is just as simple as being lied to. Yeah, without any type of uh, ability to, to open her own eyes and see for herself what's what's been going on, but... It's 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 a weird thing for sure. I'll tell you what else was weird. Nice segue <laughs> there, thank you. She comes out. Lourdes is like, "I'll follow you wherever you go. I was dead before you came along." And Lexi, as Tom put it, just kind of gleefully didn't use the word gleefully, but he said he was she was almost like happy or smiling when she kills Lourdes. She she yeah. she worded it as though she believed she was doing Lourdes a favor. Mm-hmm. I want, uh, she used something uh, to paraphrase, you want to be set free. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is hugely revealing as to what she believes humans are. 
She believes that they are trapped inside this body that is prone to war and hatred, (laughs) which is ironic since everyone around her loves her and refuses to have her terminated. But it wasn't that so it was so juxtaposed, right? Because there you have her family surrounding her saying, we are here for you. We want to protect you. We love you. And she's saying humans are all filled with hate and fear and she goes out and she kills lordis it was just boy it was it's really like a politician who can't stand that some people don't agree with her (laughs) and or you know i mean it's like gandhi did not give up the first time he was abused on the streets Mm -hmm. he didn't he didn't give up his pacifism just because a couple people opposed him Mm -hmm. i don't know whether that has to do with her emotional immaturity or if that is really the Ashveni coming through in her not having a tolerance for people who quote won't obey. Like she, mm-hmm. she, she was saying something along the lines of, I have tried to show you the way of peace and you have rejected me. <laughs> well, what about those three months when every single person you looked upon decided to worship you? Yeah. Very and strange. It is. And she's, I think she's focusing on what Pope and the, and the gang were trying to do last week while she was in her cocoon. But yeah, it's scary though, because she has now gained control of the, her abilities. That's what the time yes. in the cocoon did. So it, it's, uh, she's quite capable of, of all kinds of things now, it looks like. Very scary. Well, in the wake of Lourdes's death, that's where we get the conversation first between Hal and his dad, which was very brief. Uh, I think Hal mm-hmm. just says, I tried to warn you. <laughs> and is, is Lexi still family now? And, and this goes back to what we were just talking about, you know, mm-hmm. the difference between the fact that this girl was born to Anne in almost a Jesus kind of way again, mm-hmm. but not really belonging to an earthly father. <laughs> and yet, because you are the bone of my bones, there is still an attachment there. You can't ignore the fact that she was birthed by a human. And I was trying to, I was trying to decide after watching whether I would be on, on Anne's side, Tom's side, Hal's side. And, you know, I just got to think, I'm trying to make parallels to something that could actually happen in life. And, you know, somebody in your family, uh, maybe a brother who has committed a lot of crimes, maybe he's in jail. Could you, would you still stand by him even? Would you still, I don't know, fight the court for them to keep off the death penalty just because he's your brother? I mean, would you keep Mm -hmm. fighting for that even though you knew he was guilty? Right. I don't know. I've never been in that situation. It, 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 and it, gosh, it's a tough one to be in, but, uh, you can't just let her go because she's family. You do have to, for the greater good, I would think. Some sort of justice and some sort of um, con- control needs to be gained. Yeah. So, do you, well, if you were in Hal's position then, before, you know, before he decided that love was not something he wanted to do away with, <laughs> would you have proposed something specific or you just don't really know where you would be right now? Well, I wouldn't have taken Hal's approach like he did with that conversation with Maggie, where he's basically saying that love is our, our weakness as humanity. I mean, that seems like the Ishveni talking at that point. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, okay. From, you can, you can make the argument that love is our weakness as humanity, but it's also our greatest asset. And I think that that's really a clue as to where, what the moral of the show will be when it's all said and done next season is that love will have conquered. 
all. That will have been the thing that will have propelled us to victory. How far would you go for someone you love? Exactly. I would cross universes with a little bald boy. As long as it's not a mole rat boy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if it's genie, yeah. that's another question entirely. Yeah. Okay, so Ganon has some more to say about Lourdes. He says, First up, definitely not my favorite character in the series and very underutilized. Each season, she seems to be entirely reinvented, although it's not a bad thing. This season was definitely the worst, but like I said last week, I think she had some redeemable qualities and she never lost faith in Lexi, which unfortunately proved to be her death. Her death was the most shocking of the three, and how she went out was baffling, coming from Lexi. I never saw that coming. But at the end of the day, she's been with the second mass since the beginning, had a good re- had good relationships with everyone, and proved to be a hell of a doctor. Definitely the most shocking death. Yeah, see? Ganon didn't see it coming either. Thank you, Ganon. <laughs> Once again, we're on the same page. Yeah, now he's making me feel bad for saying that I'm glad she died. You know... She the when when Anne said that she was like a, her kid sister, it made me remember her mm-hmm. good qualities. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's the thing. This character has definitely changed along the course, and and Mark is going to hit on that for sure. Let's say let's hear what Mark has to say about it. Now it's a little sad to say, but I was not sorry to see Lourdes die. And it's a shame because in the first three seasons, I really liked her character. Even when she was the the mole, I still liked her character. And it's a shame that the writers, what they did with her this season, made me dislike her enough that it didn't really matter to me when she died. I, I had no problems with her being killed off. And at any other season, if this would have happened, I would have been a very upset, but... It just goes goes to show what writing can do and how a character can change to the point where you don't really care anymore. That that's it's it's right. But did, at any point, do we take a step back and say, do we feel that way? Does that give us a sort of injustice for Lourdes? Do we cry out for an injustice and kind of um, pin those those feelings of injustice towards the Ishvini, or do we just say, well? Gosh, they ruined the character for me, and I just don't care. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where yeah. we, we could fall. I think you could go either way on that, and I'm not sure where I go on that. I predict that next season, when we're doing our season four recap, mm-hmm. and I have rewatched the entire season four, I'm going to say, I understand Lourdes now. <laughs> <laughs> I understand the significance of her story arc. And I, and I say that because, you know, I've said it before when we're right in the middle of a season and things are happening slowly and you just want things, you want answers and you want the momentum to build and you are, you're stuck with this really weird character who used to be awesome. Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't do anything for me. But I know in hindsight, when I go back and rewatch her character arc is going to be significant to me. Mm. I hope so. I hope you're right. But I was more along the lines with Mark on this where yeah. she died and I'm like, well, yeah. okay. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Two <Yeah>. thumbs up. <laughs> Creepy Lourdes is gone. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, re- I feel really bad saying these things. I know. But in a way it's like, well, she did get put out of her misery because she, yeah. was, she was a little cuckoo for Coco yes, Puffs there. a bit. Just yeah. a wee bit. All right. Well, let's listen to Barb. She had some thoughts on Lexi and the whole Mason clan. Poor Ben. I know that his personal experience says that it is still possible to have human love and morality, but he saw his sister in action. I found it interesting that none of the Mason family picked up on Lexi's, you're Tom Mason, rather than you're my father. Come on, team, you're smarter than that. 
but they are apparently blinded by hope, at least where Alexia is concerned. The price may be steep for this mistake, or maybe the writers will give her a final dose of humanity, say through Ben's death. I'm mixed on whether she will survive season four. If she does, then she can become a weapon of mass destruction against the Asphini in season five. See, she just had to throw it out there again just for you. Sorry, I wasn't listening. Did she say anything important? <laughs> oh, nothing about that. Just this thing about Ben dying. She's mentioned that, I think, once before. I don't even know yeah. what to say, Barb. I, I'll say that it does seem odd that they're all, all the Masons are blinded and, um, you know, Pope even calls them out on it a little bit. So, uh, that's, that's not going to be, that's, that is definitely intentional. Will it come back to bite them in the butt or will their lack of action on her mean that she's still alive to save them down the road? I, I kind of go with the second option, but we'll find out. Yeah. Mm. So not only is that relationship weird between all the Masons and Lexi, but Tom and Anne's relationship is pretty strained here. And we had a caller last week, I think, uh, maybe who was it? Was it Mark? Was it oh. Mark or Justine? Yeah. Said that, you know, that they thought that this might end up being either the, the breaking point for Tom and Anne's relationship. And it looked like it might be going down that path. And then they kind of resolved to look, we have, We've got to do this together, but I think that could be a clue that this is going to be a strain between them, and particularly if they find themselves wanting to take opposing stances. I mean, that that's, gosh, that would be a, a relationship, potential relationship breaker. Oh, for sure. If if Tom takes any action like he took against Karen, Anne mm-hmm. will kill him herself. But it, it, seemed, <laughs> yeah. it seemed like they came to, I don't know if you want to say a happy medium, but at least a form of understanding where Anne did beat it into his head that she is still their daughter, mm-hmm. regardless of whatever happens, regardless of what the Ashveni have done to her, because it really was, she she was conceived normally by the, by the evidence that we have been given. She has, she was conceived normally and affected well into the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So that alone makes me consider her human. She, she is a human based being right now, even right. if she has been genetically altered. And so I'm very glad Anne took the stand because we do need, we do need both sides to that. I mean, we have so many perspectives on what should be done to Lexi at this point, but at least in terms of saving her, I like Anne's point. Do you think that, do you like Anne's point where she was saying it wasn't Lexi doing those things, but it was the Ashfini doing those things? I don't like that she are you talking about the scene with Dr. Kadar when No, I'm I'm still talking about with Tom. Yes. I agree with everything she said with Tom. But then she when when Kadar is saying the humanity has left her mm-hmm. and she is insistent that it hasn't Mm-hmm. That I'm not entire, that I don't entirely agree with because okay. I mean, I, I said the black thing before. I just reread a wrinkle in time. Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and what, what, what I'm reminded of is when Charles Wallace is completely taken over by the black thing. It makes him the antithesis of who he is. It's not that the humanity still isn't inside of him. It's just that the black thing is more powerful. And it suppresses everything that makes him human. And, and I think that could well be what we see going on with Lexi 
it's not that her humanity has gone, but that her Ishveni, the Ishveni in her is suppressing everything human and making her do the things that would otherwise be counted as completely inhumane. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, so it's not that she can't, the, the human in her can't still be drawn out. It's just that because of how absolute the Ashveni control is over her, it takes more than just, oh, I love you in order to get her back. It needs like a complete suppression of the Ashveni. And I don't think that they have the means to do that yet. Or it maybe right. not even the will, the approach. Mm. Okay. I, I, I like that. I like it. It makes it sound a little mystical or mm-hmm. spiritual, sure. but I think, you know, in the end, that kind of is where they're leading us. <laughs> is the human will, is the human spirit strong enough to overcome the oppression of the Ashveni? And right now, that's the only thing that they have to fight against is, is fighting for their will, for their, the right to survive. Right. Exactly right. I like that. I like it a lot. Congratulations. You get to stick around for another week on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's listen to what Mark had to say about that Anne and Lexi dialogue. Now, I find whenever it comes to Lexi, Anne is very blind and delusional. For her to come out and say that Lexi didn't do it, whenever she's talking about uh, Lourdes saying that Lexi's not the one who did it, or that Lexi did not lose touch with her humanity, I just find that Anne has blinders on. Yes, this is her daughter, and, and it's understandable, but for for her to say that this is not was not Lexi's doing in killing Lourdes, just, I just didn't think that made sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I see where Mark is coming from, but um, she's clearly being manipulated. Like we talked about at the top of the show, she's clearly being manipulated or lied to or deceived by the Ishvini. Why or how? Well, why is not really the question. How or to what extent, uh, I think, is more the question. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I was a gr- uh, the scene losing touch with her humanity. That was a scene that I was referring to that I did not agree with Anne on. I think I understand why she has to be so resolute in her opinion, Mm -hmm. because if she doesn't take that position, nobody's going to, and there needs to be at least one passionate person fighting for Lexi's on, on Lexi's behalf. I understand that. Sure. I, and, and as, as a mother, I can understand that even more. Not that mm-hmm. I'm a mother. That came out wrong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, just, I mean, like, I, knowing my mother, knowing a lot of mothers, <laughs> I can I can understand the fact that you want to fight for your child no matter what they've done. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm not a mother either, but... You aren't? Nope. Hmm. Don't you have kids? I do. Two of them. They're awesome. And I would fight for them, for, just like yes. you said. Yep. Um, okay. So, a little ahead here in the story, Anthony gets ambushed. There was a lot of stuff here that happened off screen that we weren't really privy to. It didn't bother me at all because we didn't need to see it to to understand what happened. And they start organizing a plan. They realize that Scorch is going to bring the ground game to them, and it's personal. And you know, kind of stands in a little bit of a a nice little similarity i guess you could say with what hal is saying where the 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 human love is their weakness well in this case as well um scorch's desire for vengeance against tom is is putting him in a vulnerable position and they weren't quite able to make it work but 
you know, these, these Ishvini definitely have emotions at play as well. Yeah, even if they're the intrinsic opposite. <laughs> I think I have a feeling. I believe you call it hate. Thank you, Skidmark. We should stop throwing out fringe <laughs> jokes because uh, not, all the, well, not all the audience will get it. And they'll be like, what are they talking about? <laughs> We're just fringe. mashing up two shows. Yes. Well, you do know that the voice who says previously on Falling Skies is the same guy who did previously on Fringe. Oh, I didn't know that, no. Oh, I hear it every single time. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, it's always a, a really, it's a, it's a very popular opposition to take to the human race, I think, in science fiction, in, mm. in that the alien race that comes and dominates humanity is not held back by love. You know, it, it, even even the the observers, <laughs> to keep going on with our fringe comparisons, I mean, even the observers had completely wiped themselves of emotion in order to make them superior. And not that, I, I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's a cliche, but I think the the point that they're driving home is just tried is they're trying to make it even more pronounced by the fact that there is now a vendetta against Tom and whether that is going to be because okay so if if Hal thinks that love is our weakness and what is going to lead to our destruction then undoubtedly whatever significantly pronounced emotion that arises in the Ishveni must be the gateway to their downfall. And that was what I was really hoping that this episode was leading us to is this, this opportunity for a hole into, or yeah, a hole into their battlefront. If, if, if Scorch is the means in, if, if they're not going to wipe out everyone until they know for sure that Tom is dead, <laughs> mm-hmm. then that is our in to defeat them. Mm-hmm. Unless they now think that Tom is dead. I mean, I'm right. jumping ahead in the episode here, but just, I don't want yeah. to lose that thought. So maybe we just, uh, and we circle back around to that thought, but yeah. Yeah, definitely it's, circle back. Okay. All right. So Ben goes after Lexi. He thinks he can talk some sense into her, I guess, because he's got some alien DNA in him too. I don't know that I really agreed with his logic on this, but, and he didn't get anywhere with, he didn't get anywhere no, at all. Not. not even close to to get anywhere with her, except into a spaceship with her. Not by his own volition. Yeah, she just kind of... Took him over. Yeah. I mean, it was the opposite of what he thought would happen. Man, I I can't imagine that he actually believed she would come back with him, but he has been the her biggest advocate, even bigger, I would say, even more significantly than Lourdes, because Lourdes was just crazy. At least right. people listened to Ben. Right. And by going after her, he has... If, if he dies in her care she will undoubtedly become an enemy to the masons mm-hmm. and that might be the thing that divides Anne and tom but it will still also be the <laughs> yeah Oof. it would almost be his kid against her kid at that point they, right. you know because ben is not biologically hers you could argue that lexi may not be biologically tom's or at least not anymore or yeah. Whatever, you know, I mean, it, I don't know that that's going to happen, though. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I, I wish I hadn't seen the preview for next week, and I'm certainly not going to speak to anything that was in there. But there were some mysteries that were set up this week that were, I hate it. You know, they'll give you a mm-hmm. cliffhanger, and then they'll they'll show something in the preview and completely undo the cliffhanger. I just need to stop watching the previews. But <laughs> That's yeah. what I did. 
Yeah, I got it. Well, and mostly because they're so they can be so misleading. You mm-hmm. know, I, we know that it's not well, the producers right. putting them together. That's right. They they can be completely misleading. So yeah, all the more reason not to say anything. But you know, Ben was in the preview. I, you know, obviously okay. that's that's a given since I bring it up at this point. But hmm. when I say I don't think it's going to come down between Tom and and choosing Lexi or Ben, I, that wasn't revealed in the, in the preview. I just think okay. that I just don't think that they're going to go that way. But <laughs> I don't have a good track record, so. (laughs) Better than Barb's, thank goodness. Well, I mean, she's kind of the bottom of the barrel when it comes to predictions, right? She's kind of the black sheep of predictors. Yeah, she is. She's so bad. Bad. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Okay, sorry. I lost my train of thought after that terrible joke. Did Mark have anything to say about Lexi and Ben? You know what? He did. Thank you for getting me back on track. And here it is. I'm really curious to see what Lexi does with Ben now that she's able to control him like the overlords did. And that just tells us that Lexi's powers have grown exponentially. And she is a lot more like the Asveni than she is human if she's able to use her powers to control Ben. I have a feeling what we're seeing is the end of Ben's character. I think Barb will be right. And before the end of the season, he'll be dead. Uh Uh-oh. I now, don't understand. What have I ever done to either of them but show them love and support? Well, I know it's not personal. Now Mark is throwing out bad predictions. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I hate to admit that they're right, but I mean, all, all indicators seem to make it seem like this is going to happen, like that, that it's going to be his end. Yeah, and that's why we tease it, because... I mean, we're, Mark and Barb both know that we're not attacking them when we, when we right. slight them in that way. But uh, it's certainly not looking good for Ben. But maybe that's what they want us to think. That's right. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. They could be saying, watch this hand over here while we do this thing over here. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're mm-hmm. pleasantly surprised. Speaking of pleasantly surprised, mm-hmm. bam, another good segue. Um, <laughs> Pope. Telling Sarah that if she wants to live, oh, she man. should stick with the Masons. The Masons have kept everybody alive, and they are awesome. And she's like, what do you mean? You've been talking about how awful they are. Don't you love my female voice impersonations? Mm. It's really one it's of my fantastic. greater skills. Yeah. Um, I was surprised by this. Should Should I probably not have been? I mean, I wasn't surprised that he had those points of view. I was surprised that he publicly announced those points of view. Pope is such a weird character. I love him. <laughs> I absolutely love everything that he brings to the second mass. And on the one hand, I completely expected it because of the behavior that we got earlier in the season when he went to go get the gas and met Sarah. You know, it, it he didn't he did it mostly as a defiance against Hal, of course, but he also had some element of altruistic value in his behavior in that he went there actually to find fuel. <laughs> he he needed to get out, needed to take a risk, but he, you know, he was actually going to find fuel. And so mm-hmm. he he knows that sticking with the Masons is going to keep him alive. But he also knows that sticking with the Masons could mean his immediate and sudden death at any point in his life as well. And to say that, to say it out loud seems very uncharacteristic. Right. And yet at the same time, I don't know. It was almost like he, he had to explain to himself why he was still there. Okay. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but maybe so. 
um, or at least to verbalize it. You know, I'm sure he'd he'd given it some thought more than on more than one occasion, but maybe verbalizing it was something that he needed to do. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, not five minutes ago, he was, well, not, not literally five minutes ago, but mm-hmm. um, in the episode five minutes ago, he was yelling at Tom for letting Lexi go. He was holding a gun right. to Lexi's head and asking someone to take a shot. Mm-hmm. And here he is raving about it. Is it because he feels responsibility for Sarah's well-being since he brought her into the fold? That could be. He could actually be developing some real feelings for her, which seemed like it was the case. Well, we, we we certainly weren't surprised with all the flirting and, you know. Well, that was- flirting, no. Flirting I was not surprised about. But, I mean, there's a, there's a huge difference between flirting and caring if someone dies. No, sure. Right, well, especially sure, with Pope. But, well, yeah, but even still, I think there's a, there's a difference in caring if someone dies and actually caring for them. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, there's... We we know we understand what these different levels and different types of relationships are. I mean, it, it seems like it's not just flirting, and there's actual some real care that's developing be- between right. them. It's almost like Sarah has been itching at Pope's weaknesses, like weak points, saying mm-hmm. trying to trying to get him to turn back into his old ways. When really, her own strength and her own rebellion isn't as. Uh, pronounced or isn't isn't as magnanimous as what's what is the word I'm looking for? It's not as developed as we thought it was. Like she, she seems like this badass rebel, but she's really just scared, mm-hmm. and so it comes out and manifests as this rebellious person who just wants to take off and leave. But it's because she can she can sense the danger around. <laughs> what did she call Tom's daughter? <laughs> Faith killer or something? <laughs> Something like that. That was really a good line. I, yeah, I appreciated that one. But and it, and those and those interactions were actually what helped make me like Sarah mm-hmm. in this episode because she was given depth now by virtue of being deceptively rebellious. Really? See, all this made me care for her even less. Oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm, I still don't. I don't. I still don't think she has been incredibly developed. And they're kind of underutilizing her in that way because it seems like they really forced the scene in there. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it, it shed light that she is not used to this kind of dynamic. She's not used to this kind of living. She's been on her own. She's been just surviving one off at a time, squatting where she can. And now mm-hmm. here's something real. She has to, she's actually going to be partly responsible for the survival of these people and she can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Barb in the chat room says bluff and swagger. I like that. That's a good descriptor of both she and Pope. Yes. But particularly her. I mean, when she broke down in this episode, her facade was broken along with it. Yeah, entirely. Well, I say that I cared for her less after this episode. I'm glad to say I was not alone. (laughs) (laughs) Mark said that he cares for her less and she can even die now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, you know, that's the point is I don't, I don't still, hmm, it's not that I want her to live now. It's that I just suddenly care about mm-hmm. her character. Not, ne- you know, if she died in the next episode, I w- wouldn't care. See, that's the weird thing I say that, but when I, when she was broken, she was laying down there broken. I thought she was dead or dying at the, at yeah. first. And I was like, huh, 
Well, I feel gypped. It just seemed like a waste of a character. But then, so when she wasn't dead, I was like, okay, well, there's more time for me to care about her, but I really don't at this point. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And I think this has been one of the hardest ones because it really feels like we're being forced to like her when it's really, I mean, with Dingan, it was instantaneous mm-hmm. that you liked his character. You liked the right. dynamic he brought. Yeah. He was a different sort of fighter. But now you really have to actually even fight to like the character of Sarah, mm-hmm. which isn't something we're used to. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Well, here's what Barb had to say about the whole Pope storyline this week. I know a lot of folks are not on the Pope Sarah bandwagon, but I'm enjoying seeing Pope actually care for someone other than himself. And for him to admit, albeit grudgingly, that he respects Tom and Tom's family was great. Pope is growing up. I'd say he might sacrifice himself for the Masons, but it would probably upset Emily, and I don't think it will happen anyway. (laughs) I don't think so. Pope... He's, he's, uh, there's so much to love about Pope. I don't think he's in any danger anytime soon. He'll die sometime uh, in season five. He's, he's, he's not going to die. <laughs> you think I he'll leave through the end? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think there's a real strong prevailing. chance of that. What? Yeah. I think there's a real strong chance of that. All the Masons will die and Pope will be the one to repopulate <laughs> the earth. <laughs> King of the hill. Oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, Marinate on that for a little bit, folks. All right. He's a good dude, though. Um, okay, we talked about the love being the human weakness again. Do we do we want to um, talk about this anymore? Have we, have we talked about all of this already? Well, the only thing I wanted to revisit here is that, once again, Hal seems to have everything backwards. Hmm. Last week I mentioned that he was ready to storm one of the skitterization camps and rescue all of the people who had been turned into human skitter hybrids true instead of saving his sister who was a human ishveni hybrid standing mm-hmm. right in front of him and this week he seems to want to remove love from everything they do when love is the very thing that makes anyone have a will i mean what is the purpose in fighting if there's no love right <laughs> unless you have hatred like the ishveni but, I mean, what 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 about the Ashwini makes him think that if if I could just be like that, then I would win? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, although, well, I don't want to bring in another fringe reference, but no, <laughs> be, that's yes. an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Um, other than they're winning, <laughs> that's <laughs> well, enough. except they're not really. I mean, they're they're being loud. They're dominating certain subsets of people. But it's only because they have bigger toys. Well, sure. There's no yeah. question about but, that. But yeah, no, I, but okay. They're still well, winning. At the end of season, what was it? The end of season two or season three, mm-hmm. they were, the humans actually had an edge over them, right? They were actually pushing the line back. Mm-hmm. And now they come back with bigger toys and heavier artillery, and suddenly the humans are oppressed again in, in fear of extinction. So, right. I don't know. I just, I don't see. Why Hal would think giving up love at this point could lead to anything good? Well, and I think that uh, the things that transpired by the end of the episode snapped him out of that yes, pretty that's pretty quickly. And 
I loved Maggie's line. It's not love we need to kill. It's them. Again, yeah. uh, keep your perspective in order here. Yeah. Refocusing. Who's the right. real enemy? And I think Anne even said that at one point to Tom. This isn't Lexi we're fighting. It's the mm-hmm. Ashveni inside her. Right. So they prepare the, the 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 stage, if you will. I love that the Volm were involved this week. They blew the bridge. The attack begins. And all of, not all of, but a good, maybe all of, I don't know, a good chunk of Lourdes's followers say, hey, we're peaceful. They're not going to harm us. They they surrender, really. I mean, they're all down on their, their knees, um, posing no threat whatsoever. The mechs come in, mow them down. And I'm, when that happens, I'm like, really, Lexi? <laughs> Do you not see this happen? I know yeah. Lexi's not physically there, but this is the type of thing that she seems completely blind to that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, She just doesn't seem to see all the violence coming from the Ishveni side. Well, and, and it's kind of like, okay, so because humans are so violent, I'm going to leave them and I'm going to turn my back and send violence in on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and these are the people that are, are surrendering because they f- were following her. It's yeah. because of her that they died. Right. And what's true for that lifestyle should be true whether or not Lexi is there. Right. And it's not. And I mean, we, we knew that, of course. The sure. followers were drinking the Kool-Aid. Yep. But Lexi them. doesn't even acknowledge the the difference there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. yeah. And I and I and I and I want to make it clear that I actually really enjoy this part of the story. It might sound like I'm upset with it, but I actually really like that she can't see the differences here and that she's being sucked into this. Oh, I completely agree. I'm so glad okay. you made that clarification because I, I completely agree. When I when I express frustration, it's frustration in that it's it's such an obvious thing and, and Lexi's missing it, but I, I do like that, that they're setting this up because um, it's, it's intentional and, and um uh, so thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, you know, lots of, this is where the massacre begins. Lots of red shirts there. I, I don't think that was a surprise at this point. We had only lost Lourdes and we, we knew that there, if there was going to be a massacre, it was going to have to involve more red shirts than regular named people because that would be the entire cast if it was right. going to truly be a massacre. But you know, not, not just red shirts lots of skitters lots of yep. mechs they really did a nice job of you know a plan of attack their plan was executed perfectly if not for the gas line but man that gas line tons of human casualties 100 70% of 100 are lost 10 of the remaining 30 are unable to fight they're down to 20 people yeah oh that is just devastating mhm and then we see Kadar's hit by a shrapnel, doesn't yeah. realize that he has it wedged into his back. I thought that was a really cool way to, to yes. play that scene out. I think we've all been there where we've injured ourselves in one way or we've seen it. Maybe it's not been nearly as traumatic as what Kadar had, but you know, where you, you've, you've at least seen it where somebody has wounded themselves and they don't even realize it right away because of the adrenaline or, or what have you. And, he was. It was almost like he was fine until he knew about it, and then he was clearly not fine really fast. Right, and that's usually the case. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm injured. I better fall over. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I agree. I and, and that must be an area where people don't feel it right away. Like there must be something that adrenaline mm-hmm. suppresses. But 
I thought it was a great, I, I'm not sure about the acting in those last final minutes. <laughs> like he, he points at Tom and he's just like, you man, you. <laughs> but, but overall, it was a really great way for him to go out. I loved yeah. that he wasn't able to complete his analysis of Lexi. I like that they, that, that that part of it has been removed because it'll make, it'll probably even make it scarier. Cause you know, like how, when you don't know something that's going on in your body and you go to the doctor and they tell you this is normal, this is what's happening to you, you'll be better in three to five days. And then you're like, right. okay, and you can go home and not worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like they don't even have that opportunity for relief now. They they have to, I mean, maybe Anne can do a little bit of it, but there's really no other sciencey people in the last 20 that are alive. So they really have to rely on instinct and just be cautious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do have the blood samples though. So they do have blood there's samples. definitely the the chance where they can learn more or use those for analysis. Right, and I suppose the vol might be able to pitch in a little bit there. Maybe they'll have some ability like to that. help out. Mm-hmm. I like that they were using the Volm technology that we saw them, the little GPS system. We saw that coming back into play this week. That was nice. A lot more Volm involvement. And Cochise was back this week too. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, so Gannon had a little bit to say about Dr. Kadar. He said, Ever since Dr. Kadar made his first appearance, I loved his character and became, and he became a favorite of mine. Although he didn't have much character progression, his past would be revealed at the right time and perfect amount. He always wanted to help the group and especially Lexi. I really enjoyed his role this season, trying to save Lexi as he couldn't save his daughter. His death was the saddest and that ending speech of his got me. Extremely dramatic and great performance from Robert Sean Leonard. <laughs> I think I just said the very opposite of I think that you ending. Did. <laughs> <laughs> it was really only when he points at Tom and says, You got it, man. <laughs> but other than that, everything else was good about his performance. I love Robert Sean Leonard. He was on House for all but the last season, I think, and just okay. phenomenal at everything he does. Yeah, I never watched House. Sorry. It's okay. I'll forgive you. Thank you. You're welcome. Very nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the last question I have about this gas main. So this is two, three years after the aliens have invaded. Right. Would there still be gas flowing through these gas mains? Mm, that's a good question. Hmm. I, I mean, I know that I power know. plant or the one that they took down last season, that mm-hmm. was still functional. But I don't know if that was because the skitters had reactivated it. So it's not like it's there isn't the potential for these things to work, but would they be working? Yeah. Especially when this town is already laid in destruction. It's a fair question. I'm not even close to being knowledgeable enough to throw a dart at that one. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it, there's not much we can do about it. It's mm-hmm. it's part of the story now. So I don't know. It was it was interesting though that this massacre was almost entirely self-inflicted, accidentally. Mm-hmm. But still, it wasn't like a huge skitter bomb took them all out. It was I know yeah. a, a trap that they had set up. Yeah, and that's really the tragedy of it, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, their ranks are decimated, worse than ever before, and the Ishvini didn't do it. Yeah, and uh, that's 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 the way it goes. Um, tragedy happens sometimes, but the, the but the tragedy that I didn't see coming. You know, we talked about Kadar. I wasn't necessarily surprised when you start thinking if if they're going to kill real characters, not just red shirts, who would they be? Kadar had to kind of come near the top of that list. Yeah, 
The final death of the episode shocked me in so many ways. But I tell you what, we're talking about, um, of course, Tector here. I thought Pope should have died. When Tector shot that skitter that was coming at Pope, oh. and, it, and, it, and it goes right through the, the skitter's head, which was a fantastic shot. I love yes. that effect that they did. But that buffalo gun he was using, that bullet would have continued right onto the skitter's head and killed Pope, but whatever. I thought so, too, actually. Yeah. It was a cool shot, though. It was a cool shot. Tector rocked this episode. They really gave awesome. Ryan Robbins a great going away party. Yeah. I mean, I was ready to start taking history lessons from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to sign up for his course. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, he got, we got our last tick, tick boom out of him. Mm-hmm. And he really, he really did, took on a classic move. You know, Tom was not in his right mind, mm-hmm. regardless of whether he was telling Tector he was out of line or not. Everybody he was emotionally knows. compromised, as our friend Spock would say. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Yeah, and I think Tector had every intention correct. I don't think I would have seen his character go out any other way. I concur. It was perfect. Yes. Including, you know, hitting Tom on the head, although he missed the shot, which was really disappointing. Um, gosh. In fact, you know who had a better shot, or at least as good of a shot? That's Dingon. When he was out scouting yeah. with Denny, he had a great shot at the Overlord at that point. Before they even got, there would have been no need to do the rest, but at, at any rate. Right. Um, I was surprised he missed the shot. Um, fortunately, Cochise was there to, to shut down or to shoot down the uh, incoming Ashvini attack plane, but it crashed in the yeah. wrong spot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just out of place. Okay, so now we're getting to the point where this... Uh, so Tector has been playing the role of Tom. He put on the mask. Yes. Scorch sees him, points at him, orders the drone to go get him. Yes. The, how, or the drone falls, blasts him off the roof. He falls, the skitter takes off his mask and he says his tick tick boom suicide bomber mm-hmm. and he's fried he's a crispy he should be like in a bunch of pieces not just one shriveled up burnt up body but that's a good whatever. point because it was the bomb was strapped to his chest right i don't yeah interesting okay so here is where scorch comes and observes the carnage right now the question is does he think that's Tom, right? That's the question we're left that's with the, here. That's the question we were going to circle back around to. Yes, so it was. does this uh, change Scorch's approach to things? Does he is he is he emotionally compromised anymore, or is he over it now? Right. Because um, if he is over it, he can level the entire city with no problem. Like yep. he, that's what Tom said. That's he right. wants to first make sure that Tom is dead. Look upon his dead body. And then he will level everyone. Mm-hmm. But is he deceived? I I think he thinks that Tom is dead. What do you think? I think so too. And I can't remember for sure why, but there was, I mean, it's not like we can really tell emotion on the Ashveni's face, but it seemed like he came to the body and observed it because he, he was the one that pointed at Tector on top of the roof with the mask on and yep. ordered the kill. So he was assuming in that moment that it was Tom. And now right. he sees that same figure lying on the ground, a total crisp. So, yeah, I do think he thought it was Tom. Yep, I do too. Unless they have some sort of way to scan their 
um, the DNA dentals records or something. Yeah. Well, and they could, but I mean, they'd have to have something to match it up against, but uh, yeah. no, I think he thinks it's Tom. Now, uh, Tom being Tom, it probably won't be too long until Tom emerges and reveals himself. Right. And, you know, so it, it's almost a mo- yeah. point where he crawls out of his here. little hiding space and goes, ah! Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not well, dead. We got lots of uh, listener feedback on this, as is no surprise. Uh, Barb said that Tector was a brave and noble fighter to the end, and he will be missed. <sighs> I'm there with you, Barb. Yeah. Gannon wrote in again and said, Tector, without a doubt one of his faves, had such a strong start in Season 2 with lots of layers getting peeled back and revealed. Season 3, unfortunately, he wasn't very utilized, disappearing in and out of episodes. I was thrilled to hear that he would be returning for Season 4 in a much larger role, and he was all the way up to his sacrifice. His death was the most heroic and proved to be a heroic sacrifice by saving the group, and what I believed redeemed himself for his past military career mistakes. Mm. He found his family in the second mass and would die for them, and he did, and he did it well. (laughs) I'll miss you, Tech. Yeah. I'd forgotten about his past military mistakes. We got that storyline last season. Yeah. 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 It was a great send off. We all send-off. loved Tector. That yes. that hurts, you know. I mean, yeah. when it, I say when, hopefully it doesn't happen. But if Anthony ever dies as well, oh. I think we'll have a similar response. We like these guys, I think, more than we do Pope. I think because <laughs> I think so too. Pope rubs us so much the wrong way. Not to say we don't love the character of Pope that, that, and what he brings to the show, but you know, Tector, Anthony, these guys, uh, the the true berserkers, we love these guys. And it Those are the hard. guys you want to be around. Yeah. Pope, Pope, you love to hate. You love that he brings a good dynamic, but you would actually want to be in there fighting with Anthony and Tector. Exactly right. Yeah. And man, my reaction when he died uh, was, <laughs> I needed a moment. It was, oh, yeah. it was tough. <laughs> yeah. That was very sad. Yeah. Luckily, he has a gig on Continuum as long as it's renewed, so he's not out of a job. We Ryan should be getting Robinson word is. on that, what, in the next week or so? Didn't they say mid-August when they were going yeah. to decide on Continuum? So, assuming that it's renewed, he'll have a gig. Yeah. Well, here's what Mark had to say about Tector. I was really sorry to see the Doctor die. I, I really liked his character, but nothing compared to Tecton. I was really, really upset that he went. But in saying that, if a character is going to die, what a way to go out. I think the tick, tick, boom was just epic. I'm just sorry that all he took with him was a skitter. It would have been so much better if it would have been the overlord he took out. That's really the biggest travesty at all, or tragedy of all, is that he only took out one skitter with his death. I was thinking the same thing. Very well said, Mark. Completely agree. Well, lots of great feedback this week. Such a good episode. And let's get into those episode ratings because these are the highest episode ratings we've had oh, yes. this entire season. I gave it nine shrapnel wounds in memory of Dr. Kadar. <laughs> I gave it nine bombs bursting in the air. Nice. Barb gave it nine broken goggles and hearts. Mark gave it nine odes to season two. And Gannon, the lowball this week, gave it eight gas lines. <laughs> Gannon, I thought you yeah. liked this episode. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. I'm turning into Daryl. That's right. Uh, we got some final closing thoughts or some overview style thoughts. Uh, let's hear from Justina first. I'm just too sad today to come up with any good theories because my favorite character, Maggie, may be dead. 
I just kept watching her in that final scene, hoping that she would open her eyes. I do hope that Ben, going after Lexi, will keep him safe. And I know that if Ben remains safe, that'll make Emily very happy. (laughs) And I just wanted to thank you, Daryl and Emily, for making Falling Skies much more fun this summer. Uh, thanks, Justina. Well, thanks. It's, it's always funner talking about a show with uh, with other people. There's just nothing yes. else like it. Oh, totally. I will say to you, Justina, that I'm glad you didn't watch the uh, preview for next week because your answer for Maggie, your that was the big cliffhanger that they spoiled. They either showed her alive or they showed her dead. I won't say which, but there was no cliffhanger after watching the preview for next week. She's not dead. I know she's not dead. She can't be dead because they'll know I'll stop watching and they don't want me to stop watching. (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny what they showed. Let's listen to some of Mark's uh, kind of broad thoughts on the episode. I love this episode. This and what I love most about this episode was that it reminded me so much of when the second mass was holed out at the school back in season two. And when I really, really love this show, I haven't been caring too much for the story arcs this season, but this one here reminded me so much when they were hunkering down, getting ready for battle, knowing the enemy was coming. It was so much like the season two that I, I really loved. Yeah, that's what he meant by his episode rating a, a few moments ago. Um, yeah, and I, I, I hadn't really thought of it until I heard his feedback, and I, I think he's right. It did kind of bring back some of the memories yes. of season two, except for Very a good massive point. amount of casualties at the end. I mean, they obviously right. lost some some yeah. people back then, but that was also kind of when they were making progress, as you mentioned yep. earlier in our discussion, and that was not the feeling we were left with this episode. Well, and I think that also, I, I really, really liked your point here, Mark, because th- I think that's why I ended up rating this episode so high was because it had that same quality as back mm-hmm. in season two. And, you know, I'm reminded of near the end of season one, when they are, when they, when they have just discovered those bullets that will penetrate the mechs, yeah. yep. they are able to hold their ground at the school. Mm-hmm. And the difference is that they knew that school backwards and forwards, and they were able to defend themselves very adequately. And here, they are in foreign territory. They don't know anything about this. They haven't scoped anything out, uh, other than doing some recon. But, I mean, they have they couldn't have been here for more than a couple days. So they did not know anything about that gas mine. Uh, gas main. I keep calling it a mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, funny. just like they're uh, having having been removed from somewhere that they can really settle into, their their chances of survival just go down every yeah. time. Yep. All right, let's listen to one more. This comes in from Barb. The dialogue was great in this epi. Love the scenes between Hal and Tom, Tom and Anne, Hal and Maggie, and I've already mentioned Pope and Sarah. These were real and heartfelt sentiments that are so important and more so in these life-death situations. It seemed that the writers were making a strong statement about caring for the family, and I suspect that this will be tested later in the season. Yeah, and even arguing as to what family is or who family is. Um, at what point does, in this case, Lexi stop being family? Does she stop being family? Yeah, at what point does the family paradigm change? Because we've already mm-hmm. changed it to include anyone who puts up a good fight with the second mass. I mean, Weaver and Tom are like brothers now. Right. 
Indeed. Yeah. I love it. Yep. I love it. It's hard to believe we are over halfway done with the episode oh, now. We have uh, five season. episodes left for yeah. the end of the season. Yeah. I know. It's very sad. Yeah, it's going by so quickly. Are we going to be All in right. Hawaii over the last episode? Nope. We'll be done with it before Hawaii rolls around. Okay. Just barely. How about we get into some Twitter? Hey, let's Twitter do it. questions. Now, I want to say that this Twitter poll question this week was my question. I typically will uh, sound them off of Emily before I send them out. I didn't do it this week because I I was behind on the question. I thought, well, I'll just... I'll just send it out. And then uh, a couple hours after I send it out, I thought, well, you're an idiot for sending that question out because all the responses are going to spoil anybody who hasn't seen the episode yet. Uh, thankfully, most of the repliers or responders had more foresight than I did and were, were pretty good with their responses. I and was re- too. Yeah, I was impressed by you guys. So thank you for covering my butt with your responses. <laughs> <laughs> So Daryl's BC twit question was, which dead character will you miss most, and who do you most want to see die? Ganon wrote in again, cheating, and said, I'll miss Tector the most. Who I want to die? Scorch! And painfully. (laughs) Yep. Solo Talk Media says, I was shocked at the boom. Sorry to see him go. I was kind of hoping Sarah was hurt and dying when Pope found her. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. C.W. Bork says, I don't want anyone to die, except the overlords. The final sacrificial death hurt. I love the actor and the character. Yeah. And I see yeah. what you mean by their They were responses. so good. You guys are so good at, at covering your answers. Yes. Sally or Steve said, I agree. The boom was the hardest to take. I think he was responding to Tangier 14, who said... I was okay with the first female who died. She has been a pawn. Was really bummed about that final sacrifice, though. Uh, Lost Weather Guy said, Will Miss Lordis the most? (laughs) She, having been with the group from the pilot episode, she was a great assistant to Anne. And when we think about that, Lordis, definitely. We we, we all should, uh, and I think do, miss Lordis. We all weep for it. Yeah. Jovial Falcon says, Doc and Tect. Still angry. To compensate, a mason must go. If you had to pick two masons, who would they be? Oh, that's a tough one. Not two masons, a mason. If you had to pick a mason, who would it be? Oh, but even still. If you had to pick... Oh, I see. He used the number yeah. two. Yeah. Okay. So if you had to pick a mason to die, who would it be? Um, Matt. No, I'm kidding. I can't even throw that out there. He's the youngest. Um, I, You know, after this week, I kind of want to say how. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Actually, the last couple of weeks, really. Um, yeah. Well, okay, and especially, I know we're going, we're trying to wrap up here, but yeah. Maggie told him that if she was, to, if she had taken the same approach that he's a, he's proposing right now, he mm-hmm. would not be here. Right. That's right. She did. It was such a good point. Yeah. And I, I think he's completely lost sight of all of the sacrifices people have made for him. I mean, last season, mm-hmm. he was one of the big bads, even though it That's was right. inadvertent. <laughs> yeah, it's so it, it's some of his logic this season has just been crazy out of out of yeah. balance. Yeah, uh, the leadership role must be taking a harder toll on him than we can even imagine. Or maybe he still has some uh, alien DNA rattling around in there affecting his decision making. Or that. I don't think so. 
I don't think so. <laughs> well, next week we're going to look at a thing with feathers. I don't know what that means, but it's I a hope thing that's with not a feathers. That is, it could be. It could be. Uh, that's the episode title next week, A Thing with Feathers. Yeah. And we want to get your uh, your feedback on these BC Twit stuff and, and uh, the, the regular episode feedback. It was great to see some new, fresh uh, names there in the BC Twit this week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at GSM Podcasts, and that's how you'll respond to the BC Twit question. Make sure you use the hashtag BC Twit. That way we can find it and put it into the podcast. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook as well at uh, Golden Spiral Media. Remember that to, uh, if you want to contribute to the show, the deadline for that ends Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. We start the live show at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 7 uh, Central time. And you can join us for the live show. We have a couple people in the chat room right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Watch us as we chat and chat with other fans. Uh, we record that at www.goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. Good times. Yes, indeed. You can send your feedback in over at goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback or call 304-837-2278 and uh, hit up the Golden Spiral Media voice feedback line. Does that still spell TFP cast? It does. (laughs) Nice. It sure does. Well, I think that'll uh, wrap up our discussion for today. You have anything lingering in your little brain there? Um, You know, I just can't wait for next week to see... They're so tattered right now, and what will be their reaction to burying their dead? And will they be able to do anything about it with such little numbers? And you got to think that they have no hope right now if it doesn't reside within Lexi, but there doesn't seem to be any hope there either at this point. Yeah, or if the Volm decide to come back and help that's them true. out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. Well, until next week, remember that it's always easy to get carried off by aliens. And resistance is never ever futile.